out of 30 developed countries, where do you think the United States ranks in student achievement? Would you say somewhere in the middle? If so, you'd be wrong. Actually, second to last. Hey, it's Matt, and you're listening to the Math Lost Mashup. Hey there, and welcome to Season 2, Episode 9, where we're talking measuring impact. And I'd like to first say thank you for joining me here today. I'm deeply humbled and thankful that you're spending this time with me. I want to jump right into it. When coal miners dug their mines, scaffolded them, and went deep under the earth, and as they were digging for coal, toxic gases would be released. Now, some of these gases had no scent, and so that if you were to inhale enough of them, you'd pass out and eventually die. So, they invented a simple strategy. Bring an animal into the coal mine with smaller lungs, less resiliency, and let them be the tail for if the gases are present. They chose a canary. If the canary fell over, they'd pick it up and they'd leave the mine because that meant the gas levels were too dangerously high. If they ignored the canary, many human lives could be lost. There are so many misuses of data. And actually, it's so very simple to measure impact, to look for growth, and to do what works, abandon what doesn't. There's no reason for data overload or to feel stressed out. Wish we could turn back time to the good old days when the mama sang us to The 2009 Program for International Student Achievement gathers reading and mathematics applied skills data around the globe. Shows little to no improvements in United States education, whereas other nations such as Poland and Ireland are increasing. And these are universal free education systems, just like the U.S. Second to last is the United States in schools that have 75% or more low income levels. Now, if you flip that and look at the schools in the United States that have less than 10% poverty or low income levels, those schools rank number one worldwide. We have a large disparity. Low income schools, low performance. High income schools, high performance. And the average for the United States is right in the middle of the 30 developed countries in PISA's results. This is alarming. When we talk impact on learning, we're talking about the ability to overcome these correlations, to push past income levels and reach students where they are and create growth to where they need to be. This is impact on learning. John Hattie has the amazing uh, metasynthesis from the early 2000s, recently revised and rolled out for different content areas. But there are major disparities in his research. 
not flaws, but disparities in the instructional practices. Take, for example, co-teaching, performance goals, and student control over learning and teacher performance pay. These are popular factors. Some of them are strategies we implement, but they all have a negative or insignificant impact on learning. On the flip side, there are high-yielding strategies such as collective teacher efficacy, RTI, jigsaw methods, videotaping, instruction as a PD approach. These all have tremendous, sometimes two, three, or four times more results and impact on student achievement. Using the right strategies, creating the right context, and being strategic in our programs and about abandoning ineffective programs all can have a tremendous impact. But it's not belief and it sure isn't research that makes them have that impact. So how do you know when the data is misleading? How do we know when we're having an impact? And are you aware of false positives? Using student assessment data to determine instructional impact is one of the most common leadership practices of this decade. As a matter of fact, it's not uncommon for teachers and staff to leave work feeling frazzled by data overload, data that really has no actionable results, really data that just simply is data for data's sake. So let's look at some data points that are commonly used and let's see how they mislead our judgments. Point one, the average passing rate for Ms. Jones' class is five points higher than Ms. Lopez's. Comparing teachers is a very common strategy, but is it misleading? Ms. Jones' class scored higher than Ms. Lopez's class on four common assessments. It would seem that from these two data points, Ms. Jones' class is outperforming. Maybe her instruction is better. Here's another data point. Ms. Jones' common assessment passing rates at the pretest were 92, two weeks later at 91, and then 88, and a few months down the road at 90. Compare that to Ms. Lopez's common assessment passing rates, the pretest of 58. Remember, Ms. Jones was a 92. But Ms. Lopez's second assessment was a 65, almost 30 points lower than Ms. Jones. At this point, we might assume that Ms. Lopez is not doing something right. But by week four, Ms. Lopez has a 76 as an average passing rate. And finally, Ms. Lopez's students end up with 85% of her students passing. It's still five points lower than Ms. Jones. So who is the highest performing classroom? If you're ranking classes and comparing them based on where they are now, there will always be a winner and a loser. But you will be misled by your data. Here's a quick interaction from the movie Pursuit of Happiness. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't know, you know, uh, you'll probably be about as good as I was. That's kind of the way it works, you know, and I, I, I was below average. Yeah, so, whoa. So you'll probably ultimately rank somewhere around there, you know, so really, you'll excel at a lot of things, just not this. I don't want you out here shooting this ball around all day and night, all right? Worse than data overkill is data that's misleading. And one of the worst examples of misleading data is false positives. Can you tell which of the data points that we've just mentioned were false positives? 
Is Miss Jones' higher passing rate indicative of more effective instruction? Are Miss Jones' students growing more than Miss Lopez's? Of course, there are always a slew of contextual factors to consider. Notwithstanding, the data itself speaks volumes. The question is, are we listening to what is actually being said? In this case, all of Miss Jones' data sets are false positives. Miss Lopez's students appear to be learning more. As a matter of fact, their low pre-assessment shows us they are the canary in the coal mine. For whatever reason, came to the pre-assessment bringing less to the table and are more sensitive to the instructional inputs from Miss Lopez. And she has created an amazing growth rate. Her data is showing that she has an impact on learning, growth, moving from point A to point B faster than Miss Jones. That is measuring impact. I don't want to leave you just yet. I want to let you know that John Hattie's research, a PISA video, the PISA data charts, and additional resources, including assessment ideas for measuring impact, are all available at mafos.com slash mashup. That's M-A-F-O-S-T dot com slash mashup. All available on the show notes for free for you. I want to thank you again for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, I only ask one thing. Please pass it along. Now let's go out there and make an impact.